What if I uh, told you that God desires uh, that His people, His church, experience prosperity? Some might be thinking, Pastor, I want to hear more. Others might be thinking, just what kind of prosperity are we talking about? Uh, Joshua 1, verse 8. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do all that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Uh, Perhaps the most popular uh, verse in all of Scripture quoted, framed, hung on walls is Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, peace, flourishing, not for evil. Plans for a future and hope. God does desire to prosper His people in all kinds of ways. Certainly with lives characterized by joy in Him, a growth in holiness, hearts full of gratitude for His goodness, love, to know the love of God, to experience love one to another, and in many, many other ways. But we know through our own life experience and through instruction from the Word of God that this success, this prosperity, is also married to a life and world wrought with trials and hardships, troubles. Um, Hardship in life is common to all people. Loss, relational strife, anxieties, physical pain, disappointments, conflict. And it doesn't end when one becomes a Christian. I think it's fair to say the Christian life is a bed of roses, including the thorns. There's a sweet fragrance and aroma in the Christian life and faith. Uh, There is a prosperity of life with God, but it, it also comes with thorns. Pains, trials, and hardships. And so a very legitimate and real question might be surfaced here. If the Christian faith is wrought with hardships, why go to all the trouble to be a part of the life of the church? If the life of faith just privately is hard enough, if life itself is hard enough, why go to the trouble? Why not just go it alone? Worship privately. Study my Bible by myself. Why be engaged and involved in the church and go to the trouble? Well, I think there's two main answers to that perhaps depending on whether one is a true believer. On the one hand, one will go to the trouble and engage the church and the body of Christ to promote the gospel. Defend and protect the truth. Promote the truth. On the other hand, one will go to the trouble to promote self. Either one goes to the trouble to advance the gospel through love, encouragement, service to the body of Christ and to one another, or one endures the trouble to serve self. Well, those two main paths are not merely something that the modern church faces, but the first century church. And it's something we see in this very short letter of 3 John. So I encourage you to turn to 3 John. We have considered several months of 1 John. Last week we looked at 2 John. This morning, 3 John. Listen now to God's Word. 3 John. 
John writes this, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all, all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you're walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles, pagans. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Well, this little uh, letter is both insightful and unique. It is actually the shortest letter uh, in the New Testament, and it's the only New Testament letter that does not mention the name Jesus or the title Christ. But as we saw in verse 7, he speaks of those who went out, those who served for the sake of the name, the name of God, the name of Christ. And it's suggested, though it can't be confirmed, that 3 John here, along with 2 John, was preserved in the early church, in part because they were intended to be a single unit, a packet, together with 1 John. Kind of, maybe we could think about a three-volume set here. In this way, 3 John, as we see, is a personal letter to a man named Gaius, a faithful member, leader, likely in or around Ephesus, where John is also ministering. Second John, as we saw last week, is written directly to the church, perhaps that same church where Gaius is, and was to be read aloud. Both third, third and second John are from the elder. John refers to himself as the elder. One is to Gaius, the other is to the dear lady, second John, right? uh, the church itself. It's a reference to the congregation as the bride of Christ. And first John which has no specified address, uh, is the sermon material to be spread throughout the congregation. So you've got a personal letter from John to Gaius, to him. Second John is to the, the church to be read aloud, emphasizing walking in the truth and demonstrating love. And First John is the substance that is to permeate the life of uh, the church. Well, whether or not this is the precise context, it can be a, a helpful way of keeping these three letters together in our minds. Third John is a simple letter. 
You have a good example in Gaius, and you have a troubling example in Diotrephes. And though 3 John is a personal letter from John to Gaius, it's very practical for any congregation, for us. It's providing helpful insight as to the internal workings and challenges that can come about in, in the life of a church and how servants should function and how leaders should lead. I know for myself, prior to coming here to pastor at, at PCC, I was given some advice, I'll put it that way, uh, from friends or fellow pastors on how I should approach the first year. One person essentially said, you should try and change as much as you can, while you can, while they still like you. Another person basically said the opposite. Don't change anything in the first year or two. Let them get to know you. Well, well, John's words here provide focus and some guidance for life and ministry in the local church. And he's essentially laying out two different patterns for life. One pattern is enduring trouble for the sake of the gospel and church. Enduring trouble for the sake of the gospel and church. The other pattern is making trouble, causing trouble to the gospel and the church. So we first see this positive and godly example in Gaius. This is a pattern of enduring trouble for the gospel and the people of God. And that's what you have in verses 1 through 8, the first part. John writes to Gaius, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Uh, Those two themes should be familiar to us. Love and truth. We saw them worked through 1st and 2nd John, and here they show up again. In fact, these are the two characteristics that John mentions Gaius himself reflecting in his life, in his ministry. Truth and and love. Verse 3, he's walking in the truth. And he's demonstrating love there in verse 6 to the church and the ministry leaders and laborers, people who are coming and needing support, traveling servants of the Lord. As an aside, it's, I think, worth noting in verse 2 that as he prays that Gaius would be in good health, to pick up on that, his measurement, his standard for physical health is his spiritual health. We, we live in a culture that in many ways idolizes health, looks, beauty. Yet John's standard for physical well-being is the health of one's soul. I pray you're in good health, as it is well with your soul. Well, notice the warm and sort of emotive language in the opening verses. He loves Gaius in truth. They have that mutual faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 1, he, he's rejoicing greatly that brothers and sisters have testified uh, to his faithfulness in verse 3. And he has great joy to hear that his children, my children, are walking in the truth. So John's ministry and influence in the churches in and around Ephesus has grown over time. Gaius' own faith and ministry is likely the spiritual offspring of John's mentorship and influence. We might think of Paul's relationship to uh, Timothy, where he called Timothy his own child in the faith. We might have something a little bit similar here between John, this elder saint, and Gaius, whom he loves. And the mention of Demetrius toward the end in verse 12 
is who likely served as courier. Right? Who could you trust to be bringing letters from one place to another? Now, this is how John, it seems, has come to learn of the circumstances that are taking place in this church or the churches around, along with the brothers and sisters who had come from Gaius's church. Verse 3, they've testified as to Gaius's faithful ministry. So John is commending, he's encouraging Gaius in his faithful work. You're doing a work of faith, he says. Faithful ministries, walking in the truth, demonstrating love to the church. He's extending support to these traveling ministry workers and laborers. Perhaps two important and and practical points here. One, God takes notice of individual believers and local churches and desires to encourage them in the faith. This is a letter from John to Gaius. But in a way, it's God's letter. It's God's word to Gaius, but also to us. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. We think of Paul's words to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10 where he mentions the the Exodus, those in the Exodus, that, that, that these things were given as an example for us. And so all of Scripture is to us as well. And what words of encouragement and joy... I almost picture a parent helping their child learn to ride a bike for the first time. They fall again and again, but then eventually the child takes off on their own. They're managing the handlebars. They're pedaling. They're balancing. They're now doing it on their own. And the parent delights in this. Well, in a spiritual way, a ministerial way, Gaius was walking the walk. Faithful. He's doing it. John is delighting in this. He's rejoicing in it. He wasn't alone, but we might say he had graduated from the stable and quiet environment of the seminary life to serving in an environment that is at times rocky, hostile, even a war zone called the church. Your battle is against spiritual forces, Paul said. Cosmic powers, this present darkness. Through John's words to Gaius, we're reminded God is attentive to His servants and to His church. The second practical point is that the local church is front and center in God's purposes. Yep, this is a personal letter to an individual, but we know behind this letter is a congregation, brothers and sisters, a church filled with people. I think this this little letter is like a miniature of the whole Bible. It's representing a battle between good and evil played out in the environment of the kingdom and of the church. And where's God's attention? Centrally, it is on His people. That's what we're in part reminded of as we read a letter like this. This is God's Word to a faithful servant and to to the church behind Him, with Him. And this is not to suggest that there isn't important news and stories reported in newspapers across the country, around the world every day and every week. But it is to say that the central story of God's activity is in His church, His people. So if I want to participate in the center of God's work, I'm to commit myself to His people, 
to the church, to this spiritual house that God indwells. Well, Gaius serves as an example. An example we should be following. But as we know from this letter, not all is well in this church that he serves. Things take a serious turn in verse 9. He says, I have written something to the church. But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Whether this influential figure, Diotrephes, is in Gaius' church or another house church nearby, he is causing problems. The construction of verse 9, when it says he likes to put himself first, reveals this is not merely one past event. This is ongoing. This is an ongoing challenge. Another important practical point here. No matter how committed a church might be to the Lord, however mature it may be, however right and pure its doctrines, the church is not immune to real opposition, struggle, and even evil emerging from within. In fact, we might even say these these things and make it a target. This is not persecution from outside. This is an insider with a thirst for power. He likes to put himself first. John says he doesn't acknowledge our authority. You don't have to be in an office or formal position to have influence for good or evil. We see it happening here. I remember my first year as a pastor about 17 years ago. Our church leadership had been updating the membership roles. We were in the process, and we had decided to remove a woman from the membership roles who was around age probably 50. Uh, She hadn't been in the church for 15, 16 years. She had moved to another state, and we had come to learn that she was attending uh, faithfully another church. But her parents were still in the church. A week later, I got a call. It was her father. Yes, pastor. I've learned that. I'll call her Susan. Uh, was removed from the rolls. I went on to explain, yes, I understand she's been gone for many years. Uh, hasn't been contact. We understand she's attending elsewhere. Well, yes, he said, but I want her to remain on the rolls. I went on to explain the purpose of church membership and Importance of oversight. And then his last words were something like, well, you should reconsider. And if you don't, I'll think about cutting my missions giving. It's kind of a welcome to the pastorate. I don't know how I responded, but I remember thinking to myself, oh, this this is how it goes. Okay. Well, that's just kind of a, a light example of how one might put themselves first. Offer maybe a threat. Extend their influence. Well, Diotrephes was doing far more harm, as we see in this letter. Not only was he opposing apostolic authority, he's disrupting, he's rejecting the very servants of the Lord, those seeking for support, seeking to put them out of the church, slandering, it seems, rejecting John's ministry and authority talking wicked nonsense against us. 
the, the practical applications to this letter are plentiful. Another practical point, though the body of Christ will face conflicts and various trials, notice that the church has this tremendous worth. And that's why we're called to endure, to fight the good fight, uh, remain in the trenches of spiritual warfare. Jesus had told his disciples, you're going to be hated for my namesake. False prophets are going to arise. The love of many is going to grow cold. Paul said the same to Timothy. There will be people who have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. Like Janus and Jambres, who oppose Moses, so men will oppose the truth. Isn't it a bit surprising that John doesn't tell Gaius to oppose Diotrephes himself? Maybe he got that word to him in some other way, at some other point, but he doesn't mention it here. Instead, John anticipates coming himself to confront Diotrephes. He's almost saying to Gaius, you simply keep walking in the truth, promoting the truth, loving the brethren. Fight by advancing truth and love in the church. One of the great reminders uh, in a letter like this is what Paul Tripp uh, calls the danger of arrival. When we begin to think that our Christian faith or, or the church has somehow arrived, when we begin to simply coast along, we've endured long enough. We've, we've fought the fight long enough. It's almost like seeing the church as a train. I'm, I'm on board. It's taking me where I ought to go. But John is saying through this letter, you're not merely on the train. You are the train, brothers and sisters. You are the train. By God's grace, the working of His Spirit, you're a member, an essential component, a part of the fabric that binds and protects and holds the body and promotes the truth. And you're to continue on the tracks of truth and love. In the end, whether it's in the church, family, the world, there is a battle between the good and godly and evil and wickedness. Perhaps drawing from Psalm 34, which we heard read earlier, John writes in verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. And this is what we read in, in Psalm 34. Turn away from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Gaius was in the midst of a battle. This church was in the midst of a battle. And, and we hear in John's closing words, not only assurance, but perhaps an echo of our Lord Jesus' words. I hope to see you soon. We will talk face to face. Jesus says to His disciples, He says to His people, I will not leave you. I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice. And as we fight the good fight, we do so in Jesus Christ, the one who fought the ultimate battle upon the cross. Delivering us from sin. Delivering us from death itself. The power of sin. The penalty of sin. 
We fight in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for the wondrous and glorious body of Christ that You indwell. That You have reconciled to Yourself. That You have filled with truth and love. How we praise You, Lord, for local congregations that You are attentive to, that You lead and guide. We thank You for this this body. We pray, Lord, that the, the truths that come through in this letter, this short letter, would permeate and sink into our hearts. Lord, that we would know our place before You, that we would know our place in the family of God. That we would be those who, as reflecting John's words, are walking in the truth, demonstrating love. O Lord, convict our hearts, encourage our hearts. Use us, O Lord, to lift high the cross of Christ and to promote Him as the way and the truth and the life. Do that work in and through us, O Lord. Vessels that You have made alive again, filled with Your Spirit, and are using for Your good and for Your glory. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.